Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Monday, January 26th, 2015. Oh, we are going to be all over the map today. Don't even try to get a theme out of this unless the theme is insanity. And that's generally not a theological theme. I know, I have a way to kind of make it into a theme. Hang on a second, I'm going to cheat. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God, because there is no shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to actually open up our Bibles to see if any of this stuff squares with what God's Word says in context, or if the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, authors, and people put forward by the evangelical industrial complex is people that we need to be listening to, people whose television shows we need to be watching, whose books we need to be purchasing, to see if it all actually squares with God's Word, or if uh, we're just being schnookered and bamboozled, and taken advantage of. Now, I, I went into the program today thinking there's just no way that this has a theme. But then I thought, you know, insanity. It, it, it kind of has a theme. And so, <laughs> we're going to create in kind of a contrived way a theme for today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. And we're going to do this using a biblical text. I'm cheating in, in a sense. But um, we're going to be looking at Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. I'm going to begin at verse 1. Here's what it says. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together uh, to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has already come. Let no one deceive you in any way. Now I'm going to pause there right there. You'll notice here that the Apostle Paul, writing Second uh, Thessalonians, is making reference to that already in his day, there were, well, false reports being spread, supposedly false teaching uh, that was coming from the apostles themselves, but really they weren't. And even, you know, people forging letters supposedly coming from the apostles. And uh, one of the uh, one of these so-called letters has in it this idea that, oh, the day of the Lord's already come, you know, you're... Yeah, you're you just you Christ didn't take you. You you know, he came back already and well, now you're just, you know, you're stuck. And he says, "Hey, listen, let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes 
first. Now, this is where we have from this text, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, referring to the rebellion. Now, if you read Greek, you'll know that the Greek word for rebellion there is the Greek word apostasia, which does mean rebellion or apostasy. And if, you've, if you're familiar with this idea that uh, many uh, Christians through the millennia have believed, based on this text, that before Jesus returns, there's going to be a great apostasy, a great falling away, a huge rebellion within the visible church. This is not an apostasy of, of unbelievers, you know. Uh, unbelievers don't technically apostatize. You know, this would be visible people visibly within the church rebelling against God and His Word, Christ and sound doctrine, rebelling and apostatizing from the faith. So that day, the day of the Lord, will not come until unless the rebellion comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God. Now, quick note here. What is the reference to temple of God there? Don't think for a second that this has to do with the temple that was destroyed in 70 AD. That temple served its purpose already. It was a type and shadow pointing us to Jesus. Jesus is the true temple. In fact, uh, you, you read in the Gospel of John that Jesus was confronted, and you know after he drove the money changers out of the temple, and you know said, "You've turned my father's house into a den of thieves." You know that's supposed to be a house of prayer kind of thing. This is the Roseboro paraphrase, but um, the, the the Jews challenge him: By what authority are you doing these things? And he says, tear down this temple, and I will build it again in three days. And they said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. You're going to build it again in three days? But the temple he was referring to was the temple of his body. So the body of Christ visibly on earth is what? The church. So this isn't referring to a rebuilt third Jewish temple in Jerusalem. The man of lawlessness comes into the temple of God, takes his seat in the temple of God, and that would be the Christian church. Uh-huh. Just think about it for a second. Just do your work. You know, Do your exegetical work on this. Paul would never point to the, the, the temple that he knows is going to be torn down because Jesus said it was going to be torn down and saying that the man of lawlessness is going to exalt himself in the Jewish temple. The temple of God here on earth, remember scripture says, according to Paul, that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Uh Uh-huh, read Corinthians. So then, you know, what's the temple being referred to here? Yeah, the man of lawlessness comes up through the church. He is a churchman, first and foremost, one who exalts himself above everything, right? So so he who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, get this, proclaiming himself to be God. Sounds like the ultimate of the Narsajites, right? Well, I mean, think of it this way. I mean, based upon the narcissistic reading of Scripture that we hear over and over again from so many of today's evangelicals, wouldn't surprise me one bit if, you know, some kid growing up under this preaching and teaching uh, ultimately turns out to be this this dude of lawlessness because he would, you know, based upon the preaching he grew up on, 
think that he really is the bee's knees. And so it's just one next step to basically proclaiming himself to be God. If you think that all the scripture is about you rather than Jesus, you know, you're going to grow up with quite the God complex. But we continue. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things, and you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time? For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. So the idea is, is there's something restraining this mystery of lawlessness until a particular time? And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming, the coming of the lawless one. So here, this, this, is, a, this is the fun part that I think we're going to key in today. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. False signs and wonders. Does that sound like what's going on within the visible church today? We cover it here on Fighting for the Faith with frequent regularity. Uh, We continue, though. And with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false, in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So there you go. God sends a strong delusion. You're thinking, how is it possible for all of these people within the visible church to believe the utter nonsense that's being passed off as Christian preaching and biblical teaching today? It makes me wonder, is this all part of the getting ready and vamping up for, ramping up for the, uh, the the end? Is God sending a strong delusion on people so that they believe not only what is false, but what is like patently false, what is absurdly false? You know, it just makes you wonder. So, you know, there, there's our theme for today. It's coming to us from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and um, specifically verse 11. You know, so God sends on them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false. That's our theme for today. I don't normally name the theme. From time to time, I do name it. But, uh, you know, there it is. And uh, let's talk about what we're going to cover on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. We're going to begin with a William Tapley, Third Eagle of the Apocalypse, co-prophet of the End Times update, and uh, and get the prophetic insights to Tiger Woods's missing tooth. Listen, I didn't even, I, I don't have time to watch television. I just don't. And uh, it's been years since I've followed anything to do with golf, although I love golf. But, you know, again, it's been years since I've been able to afford to play the game. But um, so I I really haven't been tracking anything regarding Tiger Woods or who's in the leaderboards of any of the major golf tournaments. And lo and behold, I find out from William Tapley that Tiger Woods had some kind of an incident where he lost one of his teeth, a front tooth, apparently. And uh, so he's going to give us the prophetic insight for that. Then we're going to switch gears and we're going to uh, go to the, uh, do a Patricia King gang update and listen to Angela Grenig and a guest on her television program uh, <clears throat> discussing your suddenly. Did you know that your suddenly is coming? And you're thinking, what, my what? Yeah, well, yeah, you're, <laughs> you're suddenly. It's, it's suddenly going to be here. Just give it some time. Then we'll take a break, and when we come back from the break, we have a Perry Stone update. And, <laughs> yeah, let's just say that the uh, the update music that we use for Perry Stone is quite apropos. Now, 
A little bit of a note here. It doesn't make for good radio, and the, the, which will explain why I'm not going to play anything regarding that here at Fighting for the Faith. But if you have not been to the Museum of Idolatry in the past day, um, then you need to hightail it over there and take a look at the two exhibits that we put up there regarding um, Perry Stone's church. They had something they called the Winter Reformation. And no joke, no joke. You remember the movie The Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston? And you remember the scene with the golden calf and the the weird, bizarre pagan dancing going on with the golden calf? Yeah, that bizarre dancing has found its way into Perry Stone's church. And rather than dancing around and doing the thing with the golden calf, instead, at Perry Stone's church, they have made a replica of the Ark of the Covenant, and that kind of bizarre pagan worship thing is going on with uh, around this replica of the Ark of the Covenant. If you haven't seen it, it's quite mind-boggling. But again, this will be the only mention I made of it. Uh, you, you find the Museum of Idolatry at a littleleaven.com. Then we'll switch gears once again, and uh, we're going to uh, listen to Joel Osteen. And uh, a sermon entitled, It's Your Due Season. Yeah, we'll, we'll listen to a portion of it. It's Your Due Season. And then in hour number two, we're going to head over to Church for the Nations in Phoenix, Arizona. This is where Patricia King goes to church. And listen to a sermon delivered by the youth pastor there on dreams. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. And believe me when I tell you what it is that you're going to hear today is just literally off the wall. And so in order to help protect you, I think I need to remind you uh, that, you know, listening to Fighting for the Faith can actually be very dangerous. And so we'll start off by playing our warning and then we'll get right into it. So here we go. Warning, fighting for the faith can be dangerous to your health. Listening with caution is strongly urged while doing any of the following activities. Operating heavy, deadly equipment, playing Farmville, or any time-wasting, brain-numbing activity. For sudden awakening at the sound of a particularly stupid isogetical statement could cause neck strain. Drinking liquids, drinking hot liquids, having liquids too nearby, not having any liquids nearby. The following medical conditions have been known to occur while listening to Fighting for the Faith. Cranial keyboard embedment syndrome, sinu-nasal liquid spewment disorder, steering wheel pounding clenched fist strain, continual gaping dry mouthitosis, and frustrative disbelief brain explosion. Please take proper precautions. Drinking straws, padding, and duct tape are recommended. You've been warned. Here we go. Doom and gloom coming soon. Listen to Thirty Eagles tune. Doom and gloom. God is telling us the end is coming soon. Very soon. You'll see signs up in the sun and stars and moon. Doom and gloom. Very soon. Rapture comes at night or noon. Doom and gloom, very soon. If you're ready, you will meet the bride and groom. All right, that's our William Tapley, Third Eagle of the Apocalypse, co-prophet of the End Times, update music, actually sung, performed, and written by uh, William Tapley himself. And the tune is entitled Doom and Gloom. And, And by the way, you know, if you... If you would like, you can actually find this on YouTube. You know, put it in your playlist. You know, download it and put it in your playlist on your iPod, or do this with somebody that you love as a joke, and uh, 
<laughs> just when they have their iPod on, you know, shuffle, see what happens when it comes up. I think they, you know, <clears throat> if you survive that, <laughs> you get a good laugh at it. But anyway, here's William Tapley to give us the prophetic insight regarding Tiger Woods's missing tooth. No joke. Here we go. Welcome to Revelation Unraveled. I am your host, William Tapley, also known as the third eagle of the apocalypse and the co-prophet of these end times. This will be just a very brief video on Tiger Woods' missing tooth. (laughs) Oh, Lord, what does it mean? We need insight, Lord. We need a prophet to prophetically... Interpret Tiger Woods' missing tooth. What could it possibly mean? And this is a kind of an interesting story. He evidently attended his girlfriend, I guess, Lindsay Vaughn's alpine ski victory in Cortina, Italy, earlier this week. She set a record for the number of total World Cup victories for women. And that's quite an achievement. Now, both have been divorced, so I'm not sure what they mean by being boyfriends or girlfriends. In any event, Tiger Woods showed up with this missing tooth. Now, I say he showed up because his publicist came up with this this fantastic story that he was in a group of photographers, and as they rushed towards the podium, one of the photographers swung around and knocked his tooth out. Well, a lot of people think that's all phony baloney because with all those professional sports photographers there, how come none of them caught a picture of Tiger Woods trying to find his tooth on the ground or maybe some blood coming out of the tooth socket? In any event, it looks like it's just maybe some kind of a publicity stunt. So Tiger Woods is doing a publicity stunt by knocking out one of his teeth. (laughs) Okay, that's a little bit new for me. I've never quite heard of anybody wanting to uh, garner publicity by knocking out their own teeth. But if you say so, William Tapley, well, then it's, you know, it's got to be true because, you know, you are the co-prophet of the end times. Please tell us some more. Now, several of my subscribers alerted me to this event because they know that in the past I have equated the careers of Tiger Woods and Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. Right. And there are quite a few similarities. They are both very prominent African Americans. At the time Obama was elected, they were both at the top of their fields. They were number one in the world. Secondly, of course, Tiger Woods is known as Tiger. That's his real name. And Barack Obama, don't forget, is the leopard in Bible prophecy. Right. Uh-huh. Obama's the leopard. Right. I'm not buying it, but okay. And, as you can see from this picture from the cover of Golf Digest, both are avid golfers, of course. Tiger is a professional golfer. It must mean something prophetically. However, what is really scary is the skeleton ski mask that Tiger Woods was wearing. That's actually a bandana. Does that forebode an ominous future for Barack Obama? 
<laughs> oh no! Call the Secret Service. Yeah, that's right. It, this can't be good for Barack Obama. Tiger Woods, who's lost a tooth, was visiting an alpine skiing event and had a bandana that had a skull thing going on with it. In fact, I'm surprised someone has not already made a video on YouTube saying that this is a premonition of a head wound to the Antichrist. Of course, I do not believe Obama is the Antichrist. However, Barack Obama is a loser in Bible prophecy. Could this event be a prophecy of Obama losing World War III? Right, which started how long ago? You, you did say that it started years ago with that Korea thing. Yeah, I'm still waiting to get, you know, the Time Life series on World War III up to this point. You know, a little confused as to where the front lines are at this point. As found in Daniel, chapter 11, verse number 40. Or could it mean the end of the leopard? As found in Daniel 7, verse number 6. Can it mean absolutely nothing? As found in nowhere in the Bible. Or the defeat of both Obama and the United States, as found in... In Jeremiah chapter 50, verse number 44. Now, in conclusion, I consider my co-prophecies as found on my thirdeaglemedia.com website to be far more important than those of Tiger Woods' missing tooth. Okay. And you should visit that site, and you should at least look at those four PDF files of Zechariah's end times prophecies as found in his chapters 12 through 14. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so if you want to get more of this insanity, again, Scripture warns that in the last days there'll be a great apostasy and God will send a delusion so that people will believe what's false and a lie. Yeah, it just makes me wonder, is that a fulfillment of... Is William Tapley a fulfillment of Second Thessalonians chapter 2? Verse 11, well, I don't claim to be a prophet, the son of a prophet, or anything of the sort. So I'll just have to put it out there with a big question mark, and we'll just have to kind of wait and see. If Jesus shows up soon, well, we, we could say maybe. I think that probably is what that is. And if he tarries, maybe it's just some of those early birth pangs. But one thing's for sure, William Tapley is the poster boy for Great Commission Creep. Uh, never have I heard him proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name or promote anything that even remotely sounds like sound doctrinal discipleship. Yeah, biblical discipleship. Anyway, moving along. So, um, did you know that your suddenly is coming? And you're thinking, my my what? Yeah, you're suddenly. It's, it, it, suddenly it's going to be here, you know, because <laughs> apparently the Bible has, you know, suddenlies in it that happen to other people and so your suddenly is suddenly going to happen it's it's going to it's it's coming it's it's like practically here and uh, so to help us explain all of this we're going to be listening to a video with Angela Grenig who is uh, of the Patricia King gang as she interviews uh, Robert Hotchkin uh, I think they're in Sweden I think that's where this uh, video was shot so without any further ado, here is uh, Angela Grenig and Robert Hotchkin as they discuss Your Suddenly is going to be coming. He he here we go. 
Nick, I want to welcome you to our program today, Training to Rain. I have one of the greatest superheroes that I've ever met in my life, Rob. And uh, we're here in Sweden and having an amazing time. Over the top. Over the top, but we've known each other for a long time. I think like maybe nine or ten years now. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, and you recently got married. I want you to share <laughs> the things that God is doing. Listen, I, I really believe today that God is going to just rock a lot of you um, to get up and get moving and to listen to the voice of God. You just really got married for the first time, correct? That's right, yeah. Can I ask how old you are? I'm 50. So I turned 50 and I got married for the first time in my life. Wow. And everything's a process though, right? Everything's a process. And the exciting thing is, mm. the Lord spoke to me recently and told me we've entered a season of suddenlies. Yeah. Mm. So the Lord spoke to you recently and said that we're entering a season of suddenlies. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Walk in testimony, people, that we've entered a season of suddenness. Oh, yes. Getting married for the first time at the age of 50 to my best friend, to the most wonderful woman I've ever met, to a true blessing of God. But even, and as you know, for the better part of the decade, I've been contending against some significant and mysterious health challenges. The Holy Spirit's all over me right now. I know. That's the key. Go, please. Yeah, so the Holy Spirit's on you right now, Angela. Really? Yeah. Okay. In this wow. last six months... I have seen massive breakthrough. I've seen the suddenness of God breaking through, and I've come into a greater manifestation of health than I've had in my entire 40s. Wow. Mm, greater manifestation of health. It's all because of this season of suddenlies that God is releasing. I just want to encourage everybody Absolutely. that um, God is breaking forth. We have entered a season of suddenlies. One of the things he spoke to me, actually the last time I was here in Sweden, was that the long hoped for promises of God yes. that many had given up on, God yes. had not given up on. Wow. And he was bringing them forth. And I can look at... In the season of suddenlies, those long uh, forgotten things of God, they, well, they're coming back just suddenly like that, you know. Things that I've contended for the most, yep. one of which I've given up on, get ever being married. Really? I had. I mean, I was not out of bitterness or no. disappointment, but just thinking, it is well, God, <laughs> you know, I'm in my late 40s. I'm yeah. traveling the world preaching the gospel. Maybe it's a Paul call. Maybe I'm oh, just there you go. Like Jesus. That. Maybe it's a Paul Maybe call. Maybe it's a Paul call. Yeah, I like and then that. all of a sudden, out of nowhere, wow. he brought forth the one that I've been waiting for. I just, and it happened so suddenly, you know? When you wrote me, I literally flamed on. I started screaming. <laughs> you flamed on. <laughs> what does that mean? Oh my God, Rob's getting married. And we, we both started weeping. Mm. And that's the truth. I mean, we just started to weep because you are such an amazing man of God. And you are purebred. And you understand the anointings. You understand. Yeah, he doesn't understand God's word every time we've. <clears throat> covered anything he said here at Fighting for the Faith, it was, I mean, not even biblically dubious. It was just flat-out false. Circles that are out there, and you, the greatest thing I see that you carry is honor and integrity. And that is the character of God's true heart. And so that's what you're bringing forth. Like, we haven't done a conference for a few years, yeah. but it's like we just step back in. Because you're, we're really, we're very good friends. Yeah. I've, um, yeah, like you said, I've known you and Larry for probably eight or nine years. Yeah, it's yeah. been a while. Yeah. And 
course, you know, we're both on um, XP Media with Patricia King, and this is going into other television broadcasts right all on. over the world. And But it's really about raising up a voice, a generation, and flying in, Rob, I kept hearing the Lord saying, he said, you're Joshua, mm. but you have got to tell this next generation, we cannot afford another 40 days, another 40 years in the desert. Yeah. <laughs> what? Okay, so the Holy Spirit told you that Hodgkins is another Joshua, but we can't afford another 40 years or 40 days in the desert. What are you talking about? Um, Joshua prefigures Joshua. That would be Jesus. Yeah. So, I mean, to say that Hodgkin is another Joshua is to say that he's Jesus. And he is not Jesus at, like, not even close. I feel like we're like that Caleb and, and Joshua that said, it's time to go possess your land. Yeah. And the murmuring... It's time. Go possess your land. Because it's the season of suddenlies, you know. I preached on that last night. Murmuring has to stop. And we have got to start believing God for the promises. So I love what you said. I thought, well, McCall would be Paul. Mm -hmm. But you knew you would be healed. I did. I never stopped contending for Ever. healing. And the thing I want to encourage anybody who's, who's going through this with is... I, I didn't walk it out perfectly. That's what I love about you, because you're so I, I honest. I love this. There were times I got discouraged. There were times I got afraid. There were times that I got low. But God always met me in that. And I know my breakthrough came when the Lord really showed me we're never contending for something we might have one day. Wow. We're always contending for a greater manifestation of what we know is already ours. Mm -hmm. And which biblical passage says that? Not one. So why should I believe that God the Holy Spirit is speaking to Angela Grenig and uh, Mr. Hodgkin here um, when what's coming out of their mouth doesn't even remotely square with what God's Word says? I mean, don't you think if God were really speaking to them that God would be saying, hey, hey, knock it off, stop twisting my word, Tw you know, Preach my word correctly. Stop making promises that I'm not making. Don't you think that's what the Holy Spirit would be saying to these people? But that's not what the Holy Spirit is saying. The Holy Spirit is saying, oh, you're another Joshua. And he's a Paul. I mean, so he's, you know, he's Joshua and Paul and, you know, and, and, and Caleb too, you know, you know, go and possess your land kind of thing. Yeah, the, all of that is utter and complete nonsense. Not any of it is reflective of anything even remotely accurate as to what the Bible actually says and means. Hey. Anyway, we're going to uh, go ahead and take our first break right now. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there at pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we're going to be doing a Perry Stone update and a Joel Osteen update to round out our number one. Don't want to miss it. We will be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs>
Monty Python's Flying Circus Church. You have reached the voice mailbox for Melissa Fisher. Please leave a message after the tone. When finished, you may press one for more options. Hi, Melissa. It's the Holy Spirit. Um, I was wondering if you could help me out. I'm, I'm trying to uh, you know, get a hold of a guy named Vincent, but I, I can't remember his last name. This guy wants me to make myself real in his life, but I can't find his address or his phone number or email. The world is so complicated. You know how hard it is to find somebody if you can't remember their last name? Do you know how many Vincents there are in the world? He's, he said that he would leave his sin behind if I could just, you know, somehow reach out to him and prove that I'm real. So if you can make one of your really fancy videos and... Tell him that I'm calling him by name, but don't tell him that I can't remember his last name. I, I really would appreciate it. Oh, and uh, one more thing. You might want to mention something about his adventurous heart. That way he'll know that the message is for him. Thanks, Melissa. I, you know, I don't know what I'd do without you. Hey, everyone. This word is for Vincent. Vincent, the Lord calls you by your name, and he is making himself known to you today. Now that he has made himself known to you, remember what you said. You said, Lord, if you would call me, if you would make yourself real, that I would come and I would leave, absolutely leave all of it behind and come to you because you've been wavering between two opinions. Now here it is. Vincent, the Lord is calling you. Come to him. The life is better on this side. Believe me. Give up the unfruitful works of darkness and walk completely in the light. And I tell you, Vincent, you won't be sorry. The Lord is ready to show you a mighty, mighty adventure. That adventurous heart that you have, the Lord is going to really, really reach in and He's going to satisfy that heart in you, and it's going to be even more than you ever could have planned on your best day. So, Vincent, come to the Lord. Wait no longer. Vacillate between two opinions no longer. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about the Bowflex Max Trainer. Now, if you're like me and you want to stay fit and you want to exercise and keep active, uh, but you don't have hours to dedicate going to the gym, well, consider the Bowflex Max Trainer. I've been able to use this piece of equipment over the last nine weeks, and I've been consistently able to lose a pound a week on the Bowflex Max Trainer. And some days I was only able to exercise for 14 minutes. Yeah, that's right. There's a 14-minute workout on this thing that will leave you dripping with sweat. It uses uh, interval training to kind of boost your metabolism up, and the afterburn effect on this thing is actually quite amazing. So if you'd like more information about the Bowflex Max Trainer, visit fightingforthefaith.com, and along the side, you'll see an advertisement for the Bowflex there on our website. Click on that, head on over to the Bowflex site, and check out the information regarding the Bowflex Max Trainer. 
trainer. It has been a fantastic piece of equipment for me. And I'm hoping that if you're looking for a piece of equipment that will work for you and you have limited time, this will help meet those needs. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the Bowflex ad and get your Max Trainer today. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause your head to explode. Yeah, that's one of the things that could happen. So take all the proper precautions because some of the stuff we cover here is really loony. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $8.95. That's it, every month. The ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. It's a great way to support us. And, of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable too. Fighting for the Faith. Send that to Post Office Box 13344. Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support because we truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. Moving along. Time for a Harry Stone update. I'm a nut. I'm a nut. My life don't ever get in a rut. The head on my shoulders is sore loose and I ain't got sense. God gave a goose. Lord, I ain't crazy. I'm a nut. Is it wetter? Than it is in the summer. I'm a nut. I'm a nut. My life don't ever get in a rut. The head on my shoulders is sore loose, and I ain't got since God gave a goose. Lord, I ain't crazy. I'm a nut. All right, that's uh, Leroy Pollins, and I'm a nut. That's our Perry Stone update music. Now, what we're going to be listening to is. Oh, man. Um, Perry Stone is in the Holy Land. He, he broadcasts from the Holy Land quite often. And he's talking about the raising of David's tabernacle, but he does some weird things <laughs> with a, kind of a spiritual, symbolic um, interpretation of the Ark of the Covenant and when it was being transported on a cart. Yeah, you'll recall that from the Old Testament while King David was king. But uh, I'm going to have to let... Um, Perry Stone give you the details and again you have been warned some of this stuff is just wow crazy kind of thing yeah so here we go let's do a little bit of background here yeah in the in the time when the children of Israel were in the wilderness you realize that God instructed them to build what is called the tabernacle yeah the mishkan or a tent it was made out of three different types of animal skins that were some of them were dyed specific colors so there was a, a black and there was a white and there was a red for example color at the tabernacle of Moses but instead of concentrating just on the skins and the type of skins that were used there's one part that I want to share with you and that has to do 
with the fact that Moses' tabernacle was basically a place of animal sacrifices and animal offerings. So far, so good. This is absolutely true. In fact, the tabernacle preceded the the temple. You, know, you remember Solomon's temple? That became the... Uh, the stone edifice version of the tabernacle where the sacrifices took place. So the typological, you know, the typology begins with the tabernacle. It morphs into the temple, all of that pointing forward to the ultimate sacrifice, the once for all sacrifice for our sins by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on the cross. So far, so good. I mean, this sounds like it could be a, a decent teaching. The brass altar on the outside, and consistently there was a lamb offered in the morning and a lamb in the evening. There yeah. were peace offerings and fellowship offerings and burnt offerings that God required the children of Israel to offer. Now, the interesting thing about the tabernacle of Moses is this. No time in the five books of Moses called the Torah of the Old Testament, those five books are Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Nowhere did God reveal to the children of Israel about how to worship him. Uh, uh, what? Uh-huh. Okay. So, <laughs> oh boy. Um, I, I detect something horrible about to happen. Only revealed the sacrificial system of the blood offerings and the different types of sacrifices and offerings that were to be brought in the, in the, in the tabernacle, which would later be brought to the city of Jerusalem when the Jewish people took over the promised land. So why is it that God never revealed any of the details about how to worship him in the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament? Could you explain that to us, Perry? Now, the question I had for the Lord years ago was this. God, why is it that you did not reveal to Moses nor the children of Israel in 40 years the power of worship? Worship is an extremely powerful thing. And the Lord seemed to speak to my heart and said, did you see the condition of the hearts of the children of Israel when they were in Egypt? Ah, so yeah, this is information that clearly is not revealed in the Bible. Ah, but Perry Stone here now is claiming direct revelation from God and God is filling in the gaps and uh, giving us information that cannot be found in our Bibles. You better you know, take out some notes here, take out some paper, and write this down, and add this to the back of your Bible. We'll call this uh, a first stoned, uh, <laughs> first stoned is what we'll name this book of the Bible. So write this down. The, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Perry Stone and, and said that the reason why he didn't reveal the details about how to worship him is because of the heart condition of the people of Israel at the time of the Exodus and all that kind of stuff. Oh, no. So, yeah, this will be chapter 1, verse 1 of First Stoned, which should be now tacked onto the back of your Bible. How they came out of Egypt when, and when they came into the wilderness, uh, headed toward the promised land. Have you noticed the condition of their heart? that their hearts were not even right with me. And God said to me, and he spoke to my spirit, why should I reveal worship to a group of people whose hearts are not even right with me, who are in unbelief and whose hearts are hardened? Why should okay, I... Okay, so God's speaking in first person through the prophet Perry Stone. So you know, are you writing this down? Because this needs to be part of your Bible. Right after the book of Revelation, it, you, know, you have to add you know, first stoned. And this is chapter one of first stoned. 
to them the power of worship and approaching me because God spoke to me and said, in worship, I want people's hearts to be pure. I want their spirit to be sensitive to me. And so not only did the children of Israel not know the keys of worshiping God in the wilderness wanderings, but the children of Israel also uh, were fulfilled with unbelief to the point that they did not even circumcise their young men the way God commanded Moses to do. So in other words, when Joshua came into the promised land, those men that were born in the wilderness, those I called them wilderness babies, were not even circumcised. Now, keep that in mind while I share with you the following. According to the scripture, uh, we know that the tabernacle of Moses went to a place called Shiloh. We say it in English, Shiloh, which today is in the heart of the West Bank. In fact, several years ago on a Holy Land trip, we went there and you can actually see, we'll show you some footage of this. You can actually see the dimensions, the area where the tabernacle of Moses once sat centuries ago there in the area of Shiloh. And then, of course, the tabernacle in Saul's day was placed in an area called Nob. And this is where King Saul slew about 85 of the priests when he was the king and committed a great crime against the Lord. But here's the point that I want to make. You will read in your Bible a scripture that tells us that King David brought the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord up to the city of Jerusalem. And when he brought this, brought it up, he made an error. The scripture tells us that he moved it on an ox cart. Now, if you want to know what an ox cart is, is an ox cart is big wheels, big wheels and boards. Now, okay, all right, so... So David made an error, and he moved the Ark of the Covenant on an ox cart. Okay. <laughs> what the boards are, and we know that's the boards of the ox cart, and we know what the wheels are, but let's get a real prophetic application here. All right, so please give us a prophetic application. So what does it mean prophetically, the application of the fact that David moved the Ark of the Covenant on an ox cart, which had boards and wheels? Please share with the group. Churches are run by boards and big wheels. People who think they're really something, people that control the finance of the church, who think you do what I tell you to do or else I'm not going to support it. Okay, so the ox cart symbolically, prophetically represents those churches, the Christian churches that have church councils and boards and things like that because they have boards and big wheels. Uh-huh. Tell us more. Boards that are always making the decision. Listen, yeah. when you put the ark, which represents the presence of God and his anointing, and you put it on top of boards and big wheels, and you let the boards and the big wheels in the church try to determine the things that God is doing, here's what's going to happen to you. Uh, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. So if you have a church that actually has, you know, a, a, a church council, and there, there's different boards, you know, that meet as part of the church council. Well, you you've made a huge error, and here, no, no, listen to what he says. Here's what's gonna happen to you. So uh, this apparently, if your your church has a church council, uh, you know, you did not pay attention to what was going on in that part of the Old Testament when David put the Ark of the Covenant on an ox cart, and you're clearly going against what God revealed there uh, regarding the Ark of the Covenant on the ox cart. And if you don't repent of having a church board, well, here's what's going to happen to you. Here we go reached out to steady the Ark of the Covenant on that ox cart, and he was struck dead. And God... Yeah, so if you... um. If your church has a church council and church boards and you're not paying attention to the prophetic application of the story of David moving the Ark of the Covenant on an ox cart, uh, boards and big wheels, um, then you're going, 
you're well, you're going to be struck dead. God doesn't want you to have a church board. Said, David, you're not doing this in the divine order that I established of moving my presence. The Bible says that the Ark of the Covenant was to be moved by Levites carrying it upon their shoulders, two in the front, two in the back, carrying it by poles on top of their shoulders. And see, David had had not studied the divine order of God, and he allowed an ox cart, boards, and big wheels to determine how to move it. And when a man reached out to try to steady or control the Ark of the Covenant, God said, you will not control my presence. My presence will be controlled by me alone. And that's where David put the Ark of the Covenant in the house of Obed-Edom. And at- <laughs> so there you go. From the prophet <clears throat> Perry Stone. <laughs> yeah. So, it, it, did you write all that down? Again, it's got to be, you know, back of your Bible right after the book of Revelation, probably before the book of Maps, uh, uh, you know, first stoned. Uh, the true reason why God didn't reveal the, the the doctrine of worship to the children of Israel. And then you need to add to that. Chapter 2 of First Stoned needs to say that if your church has a church board and a church council, uh, then uh, God has revealed the prophetic application of the uh, Ark of the Covenant being moved, um, you know, that uh, you're going to be struck dead, you know, for doing that. Okay, <laughs> just bizarre, and uh, is that sound biblical doctrine? Is that what God's word really means? Not on your life. I mean, that is just complete nonsense. And yet people are, you know, they tune into the manifest program, and they think that Perry Stone is just the bee's knees and the man of God who's telling him the truth about what God's word means And the man is utterly clueless as to what the Word of God actually means. He's not teaching sound doctrine. kind of goes back to that 2 Thessalonians, that God will send on them a delusion so that they'll believe the lie. We continue. Time for Joel Osteen update. When I'm feeling lonely, sad as I can be, all by myself in an uncharted island in an endless sea. What makes me happy, fills me up with glee. Those bones in my jaw that don't have a flaw, my shiny teeth and me. My shiny teeth that twinkle, just like the stars in space. My shiny teeth that sparkle, and beauty to my face. My shiny teeth that glisten, just like the Christmas tree. You know they walk a mile just to see me smile. Woo! Shiny Teeth and Me. All right, that's uh, Chip Skylark and Shiny Teeth and Me, our Joel Osteen update music. Now, what we're going to be listening to is the message entitled, It's Your Due Season. This kind of reminds me of that teaching we just heard from Angela Grenig and Mr. Hodgkin regarding the, you know, that this is the season of suddenlies. It's kind of in that vein, but uh, I'll let Joel Osteen explain the details. Here we go. Discover the sinner in you. And God bless you. It's always a joy to come into your homes. And if you're ever in our area, please stop by and be a part of one of our services. I promise you, we'll make you feel right at home. But thanks so much for tuning in today. And thank you again for coming out. I'd like to start with something funny. And I heard about this elderly couple. They'd been married for over 60 years. They were at a church fellowship and someone asked them the secret of their success. The man told how he always treated his wife with respect 
and took her on trips all over the world. He said, in fact, for our 25th wedding anniversary, I took her to Beijing, China. Everyone politely applauded. Then someone asked, what'd you do for your 50th wedding anniversary? He said, I went back and picked her up. (laughs) Hold up your Bible. Say it like you mean it. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Today, I will be taught the Word of God. No, you won't. I boldly confess my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I will never be the same. In Jesus' name, God bless you. I want to talk to you today about it's your due season. It's, apparently, it's everybody's due season. Can you believe that? The one size fits all, kind of a, a uni doctrine, if you would. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter who's hearing this. This is your due season. Really? We all have things that we're believing for, mm-hmm. dreams that we want to accomplish. Yeah, I, I have a dream, and that the, the dream is a, a, a Christian church that will no longer tolerate false doctrine like what it is that we're listening to coming from Lakewood right now. Problems we're hoping will turn around. Maybe it's to see our family restored, to lose some weight, to break an addiction, to start our own business. But sometimes as it goes on month after month, even year after year, and we don't see anything changing, it's easy to get discouraged and think, it's never going to happen. Yeah, that's right. But, you know, uh, Rob Hodgkin said that, hey, that this is the Lord has revealed to him that this is the season of suddenlies, you know? This is as good as it gets. I'll just learn to live with it. And while it is good to be content where we are, we shouldn't lose our expectancy. Just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. Really? And what biblical text can you possibly show me in context from a good translation using sound biblical exegesis and proper hermeneutics that actually says this? I'd like to see that passage. And there will always be forces trying to convince us to settle where we are. Oh, yeah. See, there's the demonic force. It's, the, de- the devil really isn't about deceiving you or taking your eyes off of Christ or teaching false doctrine. No, 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 no. The devil knows what's really important. The thing that's really important is we've got to get these Christians to settle for second best and not shoot for and hope for and expect those great, big, grand dreams and visions for their lives. Right? No. On a regular basis, you have to stir your faith up. Uh, and do you use a spoon for that? Uh, you know, maybe an egg beater. How do you stir up your faith? God hasn't brought you this far to leave you. Oh, see, yeah, he hasn't. <laughs> yeah, you do understand that the farther I go, <laughs> you know, it's like the, the more I realize, man, I ain't going to be here for very long. You know, I'm getting old, dude. What he started in your life, he's going to finish. Didn't Jesus say on the cross, it is finished? Hmm. Really? So, you know, as I'm getting older, you know, as, as I'm approaching 50, what are the big grand dreams and visions that I really should be shooting for now that because God brought me this far, he's not finished yet? You know, what are you talking about? You may not see how it's going to work out, but God has a way. Ah. When you believe, the creator of the universe goes to work. All right, so God is waiting for me to believe. Okay, so so that maybe it's my fault that there's so much heresy in the church today because I'm just not believing big enough that we can actually get rid of all of this stuff. 
And Paul said here in Galatians 6, Don't get tired of doing what's right. For in due season, you will reap if you don't give up. Yeah, Galatians 6, 9. So let us not grow tired of doing what's right. If we, if we don't give up, we'll have a harvest. If we don't give up and do... Yeah, let's... T- we're going to apply our three rules for sound biblical exegesis. That's uh, Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. We're going to use a good translation, not a paraphrase. And let's see what's going on here. Is it Galatians chapter 6, we're like at the very end you know, of, uh, Galatia, of the book of Galatians. So let's add a little bit of context here. And we'll go to Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Yeah, that's right. That's what we're going to do. And we'll then continue on into chapter 6 to see what's going on. Now, remember, in the opening part of Galatians, Paul literally upbraids the uh, the churches in Galatia for believing the Judaizing heresy that uh, you can't be a Christian, you're not saved unless you're circumcised, and going back to the Mosaic Covenant. And then Paul explains that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, that no one is declared righteous before God, uh, to, you know, before God by keeping the law, and you know, and that if anyone was uh, righteous uh, by keeping the law, then Christ died for no reason. This is what he's talking about here. So he's correcting the Judaizing heresy, and then Paul, as he winds down this this epistle, which is very terse at points, he says this: "It is for freedom." Galatians five one is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery, slavery under the Mosaic law. Look. I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law, and you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than the one uh, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves, Paul says of the Judaizers. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out. That you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ 
have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now that's chapter 5, chapter 6. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you, you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his, re- and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. So let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. The one who sows to his own flesh will reap from the flesh corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will reap from the Spirit eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now you heard verse 9 in context, right? Let us not grow weary of doing good. In due season we'll reap if we do not give up. What's the doing good that's being referred to there? Is it saying don't give up on your dreams? Or is it saying don't do be weary of doing good, doing well to others, loving one another, bearing others' burdens and things like that? That's what Paul's referring to. So now you know what this text says in context. So here we'll go back to Joel Osteen and see if he's rightly pointed out what's really going on in this passage, or has he ripped it from context in order to make it say what he wants it to say. What I sense in my spirit is that we are entering in to a due season year. (laughs) So no sooner does he rip the verse out of context, he claims he's sensing something in his spirit. So the you're gonna sorry my my apologies you're gonna have to add another section to your Bible um, right after first stoned because I'm sure you know with all the prophecies coming to Perry stoned uh, stoned we're gonna have you know first and second stoned uh, you're gonna need to <laughs> to add um, yeah first Osteen yeah to the back of your Bible too he's sensing in his spirit that it's now your due season mm-hmm. well that proves it it's clearly it's your due season if if the prophet Joel Osteen is sensing in his spirit that it's your due season. Well, then, you know, that you can just take that to the bank. A year where God is going to show out in your life. Promises you've been standing on. Dreams you've been praying about. In this due season year, God is going to cause things to fall into place. He's going to make things happen that you couldn't make happen on your own. Mm-hmm. All because you read uh, Galatians 6, 9 out of context. Wow, that's pretty impressive. Problems you've been believing to turn around. In due season, things are going to change in your favor. You may have had that addiction for 20 years. You've tried your best again and again to break it. No success. The good news is, this is your due season. This is your year to be free. I thought the good news is that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, and that He died, well, that He was buried and raised again on the third day according to the Scripture. I thought that's the good news. Hmm, you're giving me a different good news altogether, which, by the way, good news, that's the Greek word euangelion, which means gospel. So you're giving me a gospel that isn't the gospel at all. This is a false gospel with false promises that God never made, but you sense this in your spirit, so everybody knows it's got to be true, right? 
Or maybe you've struggled in your finances. You can't seem to get ahead. You take one step forward, two steps backwards. Let this phrase sink down into your spirit. Due season is here. Promotion is coming. Mm-hmm, right. Yeah, from the prophet Joel Osteen. Good breaks are coming. Lack is not your destiny. Constantly struggling, barely getting by is not the end of your story. Of course it isn't, because I'm going to be raised again from the grave on the third day and spend eternity with Christ. Keep believing, keep expecting, keep honoring God. Yeah, notice he's not pointing us to the eschaton, he's pointing us to the here and the now. This is all supposed to happen before you die. Abundance is headed your way. Yeah, just like Joel Osteen in his multi-million dollar home. In this due season year, your cup is going to run over. See, sometimes you need these words of faith and victory spoken over your life. Why would I need these words of faith and victory spoken over my life? Because these words of faith are not found in God's Word. This, what you're teaching is not actually found in the Bible. Words have creative power. There's the word of faith heresy. If you let them take root in your spirit, they can help ignite your dreams, ignite your faith, ignite the potential on the inside. Yeah, unfortunately, the only ignition that's going to take place is the ignition that takes place on the last day in the lake of fire if you continue to believe this nonsense. This is a false gospel altogether taught by a man who's clearly now a false prophet. Your mind may try to talk you out of it. You can't figure out how it's going to happen. That's okay. That's not your job. Your job is to believe. Your job is to say, yes, God, this is for me today. Uh, Your job is to say, it's now my due season because the prophet Joel Osteen sensed this in his spirit. I believe that it's my due season year. Yeah. Yeah, so the reason I'm supposed to say this is because he felt this in his spirit. Really, in his heart, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think I need to belabor the point. I mean, it's just... A matter of fact, that uh, Joel Osteen has become even more dangerous than he already was. And what you heard there has nothing to do with what God's Word reveals. And he's telling you to believe what God laid on his heart, that it's your due season. Yet no scripture says that. Wow. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Quick break when we come back. A sermon from Patricia King's Church, from the youth minister dude at Patricia King's Church. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Hi, Ridge Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... listening to Byron Christian Radio. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally 
hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down. Click on the ad banner and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Number two of Fighting for the Faith, Sermon Review Time. This is not our first sermon review from Patricia King's church, but it is our first sermon review from Patricia King's church's youth pastor. the ugly we review it all here at fighting for the faith we're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service today's sermon comes to us via church for the nation's phoenix arizona uh, this is where dr michael maiden is the uh, pastor and uh, we're going to be listening to a sermon entitled dreams by the uh, youth pastor ian sullivan i think you're going to need to open up your bible to second kings chapter four uh, this story regarding Elisha and the Shunammite woman. And um, if you're expecting sound biblical exegesis, a right handling of God's word, finding Christ and anything to do with Jesus in this passage, well, you're going to be disappointed. Um, the exegetical applications from this uh, passage that Ian Sullivan finds, well... Bizarre doesn't even begin to quite grasp it. Um, it's William Tapley-esque, if you would. So, yeah, but just remember, we've entered a season of suddenlies, and it's, you know, it's your time now. Uh, so let me go ahead and back off on the music. And without any further ado, here is uh, somebody from the church to introduce Ian Sullivan for today's sermon entitled Dreams. Here we go. Um. Listen, the good news is, is that uh, we have a speaker for tonight. The not so good news is, how many of you know that Pastor was delayed and couldn't get to his Vegas meeting on Sunday night, right? He's on Facebook with that. Well, guess what? Tonight, he's delayed in Las Vegas and he can't get back here. So it's all good, though, because when I walked in tonight, the Lord said to me, I have divine destiny scheduled for those of you that are here tonight. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, if you believe that, I have, for you all folks, a bridge I would like to sell you. Um, it's in Brooklyn. And, oh, absolutely beautiful. Art Deco. I mean, yeah, listen, I can sell it to you for cheap. Hey, man. 
I truly believe that. I believe that. So I believe that tonight's not an accident. I think that everything that we do is ordered of the Lord. The Bible says the steps of a good man or woman are ordered of the Lord. So um, I'm excited about what God has. But I did want to share one thing about Pastor Bonnie. I really, really keep hearing the word over you, promotion. And I know, yeah. And I know that you're not one to... Yeah, this sounds like Patricia King's church, doesn't it? Sign up for that or pick me and here I am, who am I? But I really strongly sense that we're all going to look soon and say, wow, we know her. That's really awesome. So I didn't say that to embarrass you, but I just know get ready, get ready, and don't say no because God's going to promote you and give you a real tremendous voice because all the history that you have and all the experience now is going to be used in this next season to really amp up what God's going to do, okay? So I'm excited about that. I love you very, very much. I appreciate you so much. So tonight, uh, I'm so excited that um, Pastor Ian is going to come and share, and I know he has a word of the Lord. I know he's on fire tonight. So come on, Pastor Ian. Sweet. You guys good? You guys hanging out? Maybe? Kind of? Okay, just making sure you guys are awake. Tonight's going to be a good night. Um, the message I'm going to preach tonight, I preached uh, to our high schoolers every Sunday morning. We, uh, after the uh, 11 o'clock uh, worship service, right at 11.45 when Pastor Mike gets up and dismisses, or basically tells you to turn around, greet five people, and say, hi, Jesus loves you. Um, uh, you'll see mass exodus of young people in the, uh, in the uh, congregation here go out, and uh, we, we go have class up there, and we uh, separate junior high and high school. And uh, so anyway, uh, we, we have this format where oftentimes, sometimes we will, we will just ask a question or we will say, what do you want to talk about today? I won't have a sermon going into it. I will simply ask them, what do you guys want to talk about? And so uh, last year, um, probably in November of last year, the Lord uh, uh, just guided me in this. And I literally said to the kids, I was like, we, let's talk about three things. Let's talk about relationships, dreams, or something else, vision or something. So, yeah, keep in mind, if uh, you, you know somebody who goes to uh, this church in Phoenix, th- and this is what the youth are being exposed to. Um, and, you know, th- this is what you're about to hear. Well, this isn't safe stuff. It's um, not biblically true. So you're going to hear a man who basically said this is a, a message he delivered to the youth there at uh, Church for the Nations in Phoenix. And it's going to be clear he should not be teaching anybody anything regarding the Bible. And they were like, let's talk about dreams, which is weird because they always like to talk about relationships. But today they wanted to talk about dreams, and it was nuts. The Lord in, in one moment gave me an entire message, and uh, it was pretty, pretty incredible. Um, and really, to be honest, one of the more powerful things that has ever come out of my mouth and out of what God has taught me was something that he gave me in one second. And so that's the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the power of God, and he is in you just as much as he is in me. Cool? Maybe? All five of you? (laughs) Right? (laughs) Right? We might need to get an organ player in here. Tonight's going to be sweet. Real quick, we're going to get right into it. If you have your Bibles, go to 2 Kings 4. 2 Kings 4. Tonight is going to be sweet, and uh, I am pumped. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be sweet. I'm excited. Let's pray. Jesus. Your King, I thank you that you speak through people. I thank you that you speak through your word. God, I pray that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, a mind to comprehend, and a heart to feel your word and your will in our lives. God, I thank you. God, 
that you walk through the graveyard of our lives with a shovel and pick up things, God, that we have let die. You pick up things that life have killed and you resurrect them. God, I thank you that there's destiny in this room. God picks up things that life has killed and resurrects them. Really, which biblical text says that? I thank you, God, that your goodness is in this room. Thank you, God, that your mercy, grace, and love are in this room. God, I pray that you would quicken our hearts to hear what you would have to say. God, we love you. We thank you. And we pray all these things in your precious son's name. Amen. So I'm going to be talking in King, 2 Kings uh, 4, and uh, it's going to be sweet. Oh, nice. We got, nice. They got the, they got the. It's not going to be sweet. It's going to be the opposite of that. Up there. So I don't have to read it over here. Nice. I'm going to try to do this. No, I'm not. That's bad. It's going to go bad. It's just all, all bad. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Pray for me. So we're going to be in Second Kings chapter 4, and it's really cool because um, uh, at this point in the story uh, in uh, the Bible, you have a guy named Elisha and a guy named Elijah. Elijah, not Elisha. Everyone, let's do this real quick. Everyone say Elisha. Say Elijah. Two different people. Cool. But it's weird because God, for some reason, made them homies. So oftentimes I'm reading, I'm like, wait, did he change his name? Or did, I know, it's a completely separate person. So Elisha. Have you been to seminary, Ian? Uh, had a double anointing on his life. He had double, literally he had double the anointing that Elijah had on his life. And it's interesting because Elisha was just this funny guy. Uh, Elijah was kind of old school. He, uh, you know, literally there's a kind of old school. What are you talking about? There's a story in the Bible where he, he, he basically has a standoff with uh, prophets of Baal. And, uh, and yeah, it's because Baal is not a real deity. And he says, listen, we're going to make these sacrifices and stuff like that. And uh, we're just going to sit back and relax and see who, uh, whose God is real. Cool. So he does this like duel in the desert. And, uh, and, and these prophets of Baal are like burning and cutting themselves and all these different things. And he literally says this to him. He says, um, is your God at the, is he, is he going to the bathroom? Because nothing's happening. He literally says this. And so, yeah, he does say that. So real quick, you guys can laugh when things are funny. The Bible is funny. I was just talking with uh, my friend Eddie. Uh, the Bible is the funniest book I have ever read. There are things in there that are not intentionally funny that are funny. And so we're gonna, this story that I'm about to, talk, to tell you guys about is really funny. Really, the story of Elisha and the Shunammite woman, it's funny? I've never laughed once while reading it. So Elijah was really old school. Elisha was kind of different. He was kind of in his own little thing. He's a funny guy. He kind of did things differently. Um, he was actually known, this is really interesting, he was known for doing things. This is going to weird some of you guys out, so sorry for ruffling the feathers. Elisha was, was known for doing things that a normal prophet did not do. He practiced, check me, you guys ready? Oh, here we go. He practiced things and did things and walked in the things that necromancers of the day walked in. What? Where are you getting that information? And we're going to see that in this story. He's a really interesting dude. So he, he did just these weird things. So normally prophets would go and speak, and he would do things like send his staff. And you'd be like, ah, oh, just touch the staff, see if that works. Stuff like, he would literally say that. And so this story that we're about to talk, talk about is really cool. It's a really sad story. It's a really funny story uh, all at the same time. Cool? 
Cool. Sweet. It's going to be sweet. All right, let's go. Elisha. Sha, 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 sha. Okay, verse 8. Now it happened one day that Elisha went to Shunem. Everyone say Shunem. I'm glad I don't live in a city called Shunem. Just doesn't sound fun. Where there was a notable woman. Everyone say notable woman. And she persuaded him to eat some food. That is not hard to do. I don't know why they said that. But she persuaded him to eat some food. Uh, So it was, as often as he passed by, he would turn in there to eat some food. So real quick, I want to show you what's happening right here. Elisha is a... uh, the main prophet in the day, and he basically is an itinerant minister. Uh, basically goes around, talks to the king, talks to all the different, you know, does all, you know, works with the people, you know, all that stuff. And anyway, so he's in Shunem, and he, and he, and he walks by this house, and the Shunemite woman is like, I'm going to give you some food, because you always walk by my house. And he's like, okay. And that's what just happened. So I was, I was explaining that to you. So check this out. <laughs> Yeah, you're not really handling this text well at all. And by the way, necromancy, let's talk about what that is for a second. Necromancy is a form of magic involving communication with the deceased, either by summoning their spirit as an apparition or raising them bodily for the purpose of divinization or divination. Yeah, Um, yeah. so for you to say that Elisha practiced the you know he was a weird dude and you know in his practices involved necromancy that's just flat out false you will we'll get to this but uh, you know elisha raised somebody from the dead that's not necromancy that's called a miracle and you know uh, elisha just like elijah would you know basically condemn those who were practicing magic and divination and things like that, especially as it pertains to necromancy, which is forbidden by Scripture. So yeah, it's just weird that he would make that statement. Anyway, let's let's take a look at this text. Second um, Kings chapter four verse eight. One day Elisha went on to Shunem, where a wealthy woman lived, who urged him to eat some food. Yeah, that's all there is to it. She just urged him to eat some food. So. Whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. So, you know, any time he'd pass by then, you know, he was welcome at her place, you know, for a meal. And she said to her husband, Behold, now I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp, so that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. So basically, you know, he's you know Elisha's travels as as a prophet took him by uh, Shunem on a regular basis, and they were saying, you know, it'd be really nice if we made a guest room for him. You know, he could stay here, refresh himself on his journey. He can have something to eat, and so this was a, a kindness shown. To a man of God. And now that's kind of the important thing. He's a prophet. And because he's a prophet, when he speaks, well, he's speaking the word of the Lord. And in other words, you know, he is an ambassador. And that's what prophets are. They're given words to speak. He's an ambassador. He doesn't make the words up. And so she recognizes that the word of the Lord is coming through Elisha, that he truly is a man of the one true God. And she shows a kindness to him giving him food, giving him a place to, you know, to uh, to stay. And so that's where the story begins. One day he came there and he turned into the chamber and he rested there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, call this Shunammite. 
And when he had called her, he uh, she stood before him, and he said, and and he said to him, "Say now to her, see, you have taken all this trouble for us. What is to be done for you? Would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army?" She answered, "I dwell among my own people." And and he said, "Well, what then is to be done for her?" Gehazi answered. Uh, answered, Well, she has no son, and her husband is old. He said, Well, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway. Now, this kind of a little, you, you think that's a throwaway piece of information. This is actually an important piece of information. The fact that he's speaking this word and she's standing in the doorway shows that she's she doesn't want there to be any any thinking that something funny is going on here between her and the prophet, and that little information also is important because she's about to become pregnant, and it makes it clear that she didn't even enter his room, so the way she became pregnant is not by, you know, having an affair with Elisha. That that little detail is an important detail. So it continues, okay? So um, she stood in the doorway, and he said, At this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. She said, No, my lord. Oh, man of God, do not lie to your servant. But the woman conceived, and she bore a son about that time, uh, the following spring, as Elisha had said to her. So, I mean, this, this idea was, oh, the, you know, because you know, despite the fact that she's wealthy, she has no children, which in that time period is a very shameful thing for women. It was, you know, they were looked down upon those who could not bear children, especially bear a son. And so, you know, the Lord removes her shame and not because you know you got to understand it's not salvation by works but she showed that she had true faith that she truly believed in the in the in the in the one true god and that 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 faith of hers is demonstrated in her kindness to elisha and god in a sense rewards that and so you got to keep this in mind god cares about these things and he wants he he takes care of people he takes care of ministers of the gospel through other people, and and he does reward that. This is a, a passage that shows this, you know, in a historical narrative. So, you, if you want to take you know applications from that, you can, and that would not be twisting this text. It's showing that God sees and He hears and He rewards. And so, she did not expect this. She did not try to earn this. She did not set out and say, you know, maybe I can have a son if I can earn this by you know showing kindness. No, that's not it at all. She showed. Kindness to the prophet purely because he was a prophet, and she knew that he was a true man of God, and so she went, you know, put went through all of this trouble to show kindness to him, and God showed kindness back. That's what's going on here. So we continue in the story. When the child had grown, he went out one day to his father among the reapers, and he said to his father, "Oh, my head, my head!" And his father said to his servant, "Carry him to his mother." And uh, when you read the commentaries on this, many people say, well, this is indicative of heat stroke, which, you know, which children are, you know, very much prone to. So this is, this is a, 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 you know, a big problem. So carry him to his mother. And when he had lifted him and brought him to his mother, the child sat on her lap till noon and then he died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, shut the door behind him and went out. So she doesn't even take the kid to his own bed. He she takes him up to the bed of the prophet, puts him on the bed, and now she's on a mission. She is on a mission. She has got to go to the one place where she knows her words 
will be heard by God himself. This again shows that she truly believes that Elisha is a man of God and that he, and that when he speaks, he speaks to God and that when God speaks you know, through him, that God is speaking. So she's got to get in front of the one person she knows you know, God will hear and, and that she can hear from God. So then she called to her husband and said, send me one of the servants and one of the, and one of the donkeys that I may quickly go to the man of God and come back again. And he said, why will you go to him today? It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. Now notice what she said. Notice what he's asking. Why are you going to go see the man of God? She doesn't even reveal to her husband what had happened. She said, all is well. And that's actually not quite what she says. In Hebrew, she basically says, shalom, shalom, peace. You know, I, 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 I don't need to talk about this right now. It's kind of what the, this is implying. So then she saddled the donkey and she said to her servant, urge the animal on. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When the man of God saw her coming, he said to Gehazi, his servant, look, there's the Shunammite. Run at once to meet her and say to her, Is all well with you? Is all well with your husband? Is all well with the child? And she answered, Shalom. Peace, basically said, Peace to the uh, to Gehazi. Or, you know, it's translated all as well, but he, she says, Shalom, which basically means peace is a greeting, but she's got, she's not, her business isn't with Gehazi. And when she came to the mountain to the man of God, she caught hold of his feet. So, you know, she's really not communicating with anybody. She's on a mission. She finds Elisha, and she, in a way that's similar to and kind of harkens to the way some of the people were with Christ, right, grabs hold of his feet. Gehazi came to push her away. But the man of God said, leave her alone, for she is in bitter distress. And the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. And then she said, did I ask my Lord for a son no, he, she didn't. Did I not say, do not deceive me? He said to Gehazi, tie up your garment, take my staff in your hand and go. If you meet anyone, don't greet him. If anyone greets you, do not reply. Lay my staff on the face of the child. And then the mother of the child says, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was no sound or sign of life. Therefore he returned to meet him and told him, the child has not awakened. So, I mean, this this hope-for miracle with the staff, that's not how God chose to perform this miracle. So when Elisha came into the house, he saw the child lying dead on his bed. And so he went in and shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. And, you, you know, I mean, the parallels here between Jesus and Elisha are actually quite compelling when you consider it, okay? this Here, Elisha is pointing us to the one who would perform miracles like this kind of in abundance, right? So then he went up, lay on the child, putting his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, his hands on his hands. And as he stretched himself upon him, the flesh of the child became warm. And then he got up again and walked once back and forth in the house and went up and stretched himself upon him. The child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. And then, and then he summoned Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite. So he called her and when she came to him, he said, pick up your son. And she came and fell at his feet, bowing to the ground. And then she picked up her son and went out. 
an amazing miracle of God raising a dead child from the grave. And Jesus, as our prophet, priest, and king, he, he did these same miracles. So Elisha, in a sense, is prefiguring the miracle working of Jesus himself, you know, raising people from the dead, you know, showing that he, tr- he, tr- he too truly is a man of God. And you'll notice over and again the theme here with the man of God, the man of God, the man of God, the man of God. Then you get to Jesus. He's raising people from the dead. He's healing the sick. And what are the Pharisees saying about him? Oh, he has a demon. You know, he's, he does this through the work of Beelzebub. And yet no one's really buying that except for the Pharisees themselves because over and again the miracles that Jesus are performing are the exact same miracles that were performed by a man of God showing who he is, that he truly is the one he claims to be. But anyway, so you can you can even tie Jesus into this, this story. But again, there's no promise here that God's going to raise your dreams or anything like that. That's not so, what's going on. But there is, in a sense, you can say, you know, the, this woman, because she was barren, she had longed for a child, but she didn't do what she did for the prophet in order to have a child. No, not at all. You can't earn God's, you know, God's promises in that way. But she had faith, and God cared for her and cared for what she wanted and answered, ultimately answered her prayer and gave her a son, and then the son died, and then God miraculously raised that son. And all of this, in a sense, prefigures Christ in a very amazing way, again, if you take the time to pay attention to the details. But we continue with uh, Pastor Sullivan's story and how he's going to handle this text. And let's see if if any of the things that I've brought up, just in a, you know, kind of a quick read through it, he'll pick up on. Let's see. Real quick, real quick, real quick. I'm sarcastic, so you guys can... Let's just do this real quick. Let's do this. I do this all the time. Real quick. Everyone, put your hands out like this. Put your hands out like this. We do this in the youth group. When they're not talking back to me and they're being you know, quiet and, and we, I, we do this. You guys ready? Put your hands out. Okay. Now wiggle it out. Wiggle it out. Okay. Yep. We can have fun. We can laugh. Let's let the air out. Today has been a good day. All right. We're having fun. Right. Right. Some of you guys aren't doing it. Some of you guys think that I'm this the weird, the weirdest guy in the world. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> So if I make a joke, feel free to laugh, or this might get really awkward. So, <laughs> verse 9, and she said to her husband, look, now I know this guy is a holy guy who passes by us regularly. Let's make a small upper room on the wall and let us put a bed for him there and a table and a chair and a lampstand so it will be whenever he comes to us or whenever he's in the town, he can hang out with us. He can stay here. And it happened one day that he came there and he turned into the upper room. Everyone say upper room. And he laid down there. Then he said to Gehazi, his servant, call this Shunammite woman. And when he called her, she stood before him. And he said to him, now say to her, look, you have been concerned for us with all this care. What can I do for you? Do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the armor? She said, I dwell among my own people. I'm good. I'm all right. It's interesting. He says, listen, you've done, you've done all these things for us. You've been hospi- you know, hospitable to us. You've hung out with us. You've fed us. Um, and he's just asking her, can I, can I return a favor for you? Can I do something for you? Anything at all? And she says, nope, I'm good. Another weird thing. But anyway, so... 
Then he says, uh, let's see, verse 14. So he said, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, actually, she has no son and her husband is old. I'm not going to go into what that means. We're all mature here. So he says, she has no son and her husband's old, which means it's not happening. And so what I want, real quick, I want, I, want, I want to point something out real quick. And I know we're making jokes and stuff like that. This is actually a really, really interesting story. So check this out. I want to point something out here. She has no son. Okay. And her husband is old. But she's not old. So check this out. What they're doing and what the Bible's diagnosing and giving us and telling us is that there's three generations represented in this story. Okay. So there's the son that is not here yet. He's coming. Don't worry. There's the lady. And then there's her husband who is too old to have babies anymore. So check this out. The problem is not with her. It's with the husband. Interesting. Sometimes our barrenness is not the fruition of our own life. What? Oh, yeah. Sometimes your barrenness. It's somebody else's fault, you know. Sometimes our barrenness is the fruition of the people we surround ourselves with. Yeah, and you're going to clap for that. Wow. So, her husband is old. 15. So he said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway. And then he said, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. Now, mind you, this woman, check this. This woman has never had a child before, and she's given up on the dream. Her husband cannot do it. It's not working. Given up on the dream. So there you go. See, just she's given up on the dream, but you, you don't give up on your dreams. Yeah, yeah. This is not about that. Working. The son is not here. And, and, and Elisha says to him, hey, you're going to have a kid, by the way, next year. This time, you will be with child. You are going to have a kid, and he's coming. You know what she says? Real quick. Everyone in here has a dream, right? Raise your hand. Anyone? Anyone? So narcissistic eisegesis is going on here now. Five of them, maybe. Okay. What if I walked up to you and said, this dream can come true? What would you say? Real quick, think about it. You can answer out loud. I'd say you're not a man of God. Sweet. What if I said, listen, any dream, if, if some of your guys' dream is winning the lottery, some of your dreams is actually having a child, some of your dreams is going to college and getting a degree, some of your dreams are raising a good family, it doesn't, anything. What if I said, listen, I can grant you right now, I can give you this dream. You'd be pretty happy, right? Check this. This woman, she's a little bit different. Oh, she is the... Oh, man, she's awesome. Ah, she's the best. She's just spunky. She's just a spunky lady. So, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And, he, and she said, no. Do not lie to your maidservant. Wait a second. I'm going to give you everything you've ever wanted. And she says, no. Don't lie to me. This lady is bitter. And her bitterness, listen, 
her bitterness have cut her off from what God wants to do in her life. Really, her bitterness has cut her off from what God wants to do in her life. Which text says that? And oh, by the way, did she did she have a name it and claim it attitude here? Did Elisha say, "Oh, don't don't say no because it can't happen unless you 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 say it can happen with words of faith." She couldn't believe that 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 this would finally happen to her. I mean, the words out of her mouth are, "Don't lie to me." Huh? This, that's that's too crazy. That's too amazing. And so she spoke a negative confession. Did that keep the miracle from happening? Nope. But the woman conceived, nonetheless, hello, there we go, and bore a son And when, when the appointed time had come, of which Elisha had told her. And the child grew, and now it happened. One day he went out to his father, to the reapers, and he said to his father, my head, my head, it hurts. And so he said to a servant, carry him to his mother. Another interesting thing. Verse 20. When he had taken him in and brought him to his mother, he sat sat on her knees until noon and then died. Okay? So I was studying this. The kid had a stroke out in the field. It's hot. Okay? It's probably the summertime. He has a stroke out in the field. The dad looks. Listen. What's interesting, the dad of all people, the one who is the cause of the barrenness, is the one who's still plaguing the family. Says, really, the, the, the father is the one plaguing the family. Really serious. I mean, this, it's unbelievable that you would cast these aspersions on this man. I mean, he's barely mentioned, and never is he mentioned negatively except for he's old. And that's that's not a negative thing at all. That happens to most people if they live past 40. Good night. Take him to uh, his mother. And so this is what happens. Check this out. This is where we're going. She... He takes, uh, the servant takes uh, the son to the mother. And check this out. You ready for this? It words it really, really perfectly. It says, they put him on her knees. And she waited until noon. And then she died. Real quick. The servant took the, the kid, put the kid on the mom's knees. Okay. And then the kid sat on his mom's knees until noon, which means it wasn't noon yet, which means the child was dying in her arms. Yeah, right. This is a mother holding her child who is had a, you know, has, has heat stroke. And she's trying to hold him and comfort him. She's probably, you know, in a panic at this point. Doesn't give us her state of mind, but just the maternal instinct is kicked in. And what's wrong with this? She cared for her son, and then he died in her arms. Isn't that interesting? And so the, the kid is sitting there until noon, and then, and then, and then, and then the kid dies. Isn't that, isn't that a pretty morbid story? Don't worry, it gets funny in a second, but. Pretty morbid story, right? And I was reading this, check this out. So, so I'm talking with the students and they say, you know, hey, you know, we want to talk about dreams. And the Lord tells me this. He brings me to this exact spot. Okay, so the Lord told you this. Okay. And he says, 
as a church, we have to get to the point where we do not diagnose a generation, but we begin to intercede for it. What are you smoking? Really, you think that God is the one who told you that? Well, here. Yeah, yeah, I, I know, I, I know. I share your incredulity. God did not tell you that, and that is not an exegetical point. What is it with these guys on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith that are claiming, you know, exegetical insights from God the Holy Spirit that are just no, nowhere warranted in the text? You guys tracking with that? How, listen, how long did the baby sit on the mom's lap? Listen, the mom, of, of all, the, the, the lover of his soul, right? Right? And the kid dies in his own mom's lap because she didn't know what to do. And, and this is another thing that I thought. How could the servant place, her, place the child on her knees? And the Lord said this to me, and it's kind of like a play on words, so. Oh, uh, okay. Please share. Sorry, I don't normally do this stuff, but. I was reading this, and I was like, why would they put, why would she be sitting down? Like, that's so awkward. And the Lord said, the reason that they had the opportunity to put the child on the mother's knees is because the mother was not on her knees. Oh. Unbelievable. Now we're, you know, now she's, you know, she, does, she doesn't even, she's not even pious enough. I was like, oh. And the Lord said, how long are we going to diagnose a generation before we do something about it? And that's what the Lord said while you were reading this text. Really? Can we pray? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are king. We thank you that there is destiny in this place. We thank you that your breath is in this place, and that alone is enough. God, I pray that you would speak through me in these next couple minutes. God, I pray that you're... Your spirit would come and resurrect the dead things in our lives. That we, resurrect the dead. This is just an abomination. We have let die, that others have killed, that life has killed, that the enemy has killed, that you would resurrect it in our lives. These dead dreams, these things that we did not have but had or have never had, that you would resurrect them. God, that you would birth in us the ability to dream again that we would be not so bitter about the mistakes that we've made or the things that we've done, but we would walk into the fullness that you've called us to. God, we love you. We thank you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So check this out. This lady, you guys remember I said she's spunky? She gets so angry, which is, you know, let's just cut to the chase. She could have prayed for the child. She could have done something. But for the sake of the story, we're going to keep going. She is so spunky. My mom, growing up, was spunky. She was a spunky lady. And, and when, I, when, I, when I say spunky, this is what I mean. She's feisty. She doesn't, she doesn't go down without a fight. And I know a lot of women in here that are like that with their ch- children. They, don't, they won't go down without a fight. They're, they're willing to contend. Listen, they're willing to contend for the generation. That they're saying, check this out. This is not just my child. This is God's child. Pretty cool, eh? So check this. So this lady, this is so funny. She goes screaming after, after Elisha. And this is where we're going to pick up. So I'm just going to read this to you. But hey, it's the word of God. That's what gives us faith. So where are we at? Do-do-do-do-do. So check this. Ah, this is great. When he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat 
on her knees until noon, and then he died. And she went up, laid him on the bed of the man of God, shut the door, and went out. And then she called to her husband, excuse me, please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys that I may run after the man of God. And so literally she says this, the Bible reads like, you know, so cordially, you know. Basically what she did is she went to the husband, she's like, give me the car keys. Give me the car keys. Where did he go? Where did he go? This is funny. So she goes after Elisha. Mind you, Elisha's like this quirky kind of prophet guy. And she's this rich woman who his child has just died. And she is like on fire. So check this. This is funny. So she called to her husband, please send me one of the young men, one of the donkeys that I may run after the man. So he said, uh, why are you going to him today? It's neither the new moon or the Sabbath. And she said, I'm good. Check this out. She said, it is well. Listen, what he's asking her right there is he's saying basically what's wrong. You know what she says? She says, it is well. It is well. Interesting. She doesn't say I'm well. She says, it is well. She's not like, oh, God is good. You know, when you ask those people like, how you doing? Yeah, she says shalom, which she's being polite, but that's really what's going on here. She's not truly... Engaging in um, in uh, in communication at this point, she's just basically she's got business to tend to. She's being polite. She's saying shalom, shalom, and then moving along. You doing, brother? Like God is good. I said, how are you doing? (laughs) You You know, right? You see what she's doing there? She's like, oh, I'm good. We're good. So, so the husband's like, what are you doing, lady? What, what's going on here? And she's like, I'm good. Leave me alone. Give me the donkey. <laughs> Give me the car keys. <laughs> so she saddled the donkey and said to her servant, drive and go forward and do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. And so she departed and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. Now, we might just say Mount Carmel. Oh, that sounds tasty. I understand. But check this out. Mount Carmel is six hours on donkey away. You tracking? I mean, I don't know what that would be on a car. Maybe like here to Flagstaff. Uh, no, probably even farther than that. Uh, no, or closer than that. But six hours, <laughs> six hours on a donkey, right? So she, she's riding this donkey, right? She's like, I'm going after, I'm going after this guy. And so check this out. She finally gets there, and this is what she says. It's <laughs> awesome. So it was when the man of God saw her afar off. This is so funny. Oh, man. I'm such a nerd. Okay. He said to his servant, Gehazi, he saw her afar off. Mind you, they're six hours away. He's like, wait a second. Is that the shooter, my woman? And he's like, look, it's the shooter, my woman. And so check this out. He goes. He goes and he says, please go, go meet her, ask her if she's good, ask her if everything's good. And so Gehazi, check this out. Elisha at this point is like, I'm not dealing with this girl right now. And he's like, Gehazi, go, go hang out with her. And so check this, Gehazi walks up to her, Gehazi's Elisha's servant, walks up to her, says, how's it going? And mind you, she is angry. She is angry. You know what she says? It is well. She's like, uh, <clears throat> I'm good. Thank you. 
And she says, where's Elisha? <laughs> so she's going after this guy. Oh, poor guy. She's going after this guy. And, and she says, okay, so she says, uh, it is well. In verse 27, now when she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught him by the feet. And Gehazi came near to push her away. <laughs> How awkward is this? So Elisha's just hanging out, right, at Mount Carmel. He knows the Shunammite woman. This guy does not know how to exegete a text at all. Woman's coming. He send Gehazi to take care of it. She's not having it. So she's like, I'm going to go talk. And so he's hanging out. And the Bible says that she literally lunges after him. Like, I'm going to kill you, right? And Gehazi's like pushing her away like, oh my gosh, what's happening? It's like this awkward tussle. But the man of God says, leave her alone. Her soul is in deep distress. And the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. So she said that I ask a son of my Lord. Did I not say, do not deceive me? You know what she did? She gets on a donkey and rides six hours. Okay. And she goes to this man and she says, did I ask you? To dig up my dead dreams? Uh, she didn't say anything about ask you to dig up my dead dreams. Did I, did I ask you to go there? Because remember when, remember when he asked her the first time, uh, what can I do for you? She's like, I'm good. It is well. I'm good. I don't need anything. And then the Lord tells Elisha, tell her she's going to have a son because that's what she really wants. And then the son dies. And she gets so angry. She screamed. I mean, six hours on a donkey. Oh, I can't do six hours in the car. Six hours on a donkey. And she walks up. You ready for this? She's not like, come save my son. Check this out. She doesn't say, save my son. She reminds, listen, she reminds him that this was his idea in the first place. When your dreams in life die, you have one simple task. When your dreams in life die, you have a task. That's what you're getting from this text, really? Return it to the one who sent it. <sighs> this is utter nonsense. It's not even a lucid exegesis. So she walks, listen, she walks up. She says, I didn't ask you for this. I didn't ask you for this. I, you gave this to me. You gave this to me. What are you, what are you going to do? And it's funny. So this is where, <laughs> this is funny. This is where Elijah gets awesome. So Elisha says to Gehazi, take my staff and go and, and, and just have, just put it on the child. Do whatever you need to do. And so Gehazi, it's funny, six hours, right? Six hours on the donkey. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine? <laughs> Check this out so, real quick, real quick. Because Gehazi comes back. And so I'm thinking to myself, Elisha and this angry lady had 12 hours of hanging out together. Like, I wonder what they talked about. I wonder what that conversation was like. Probably awkward. So Gehazi gets on the donkey. Six hours, check this out. He goes and he lays the staff... On the, on the kid, 
and nothing happens. So this is getting worse by the minute. So I mean, if you think about this, six hours on a donkey. I just can't get over that. I just can't. Six hours on a donkey with the staff, right? And he's singing, okay, so this is what's going to happen. I'm going to walk in. I'm going to go upstairs, right? And I'm just going to place the staff on the kid. I mean, that's what he said. So I guess we just place, okay, place the staff on the kid and it doesn't work. I mean, can you imagine? I could see him like, like do I, you know, you know, how do I do this? Do I, do I put, do I, uh, do I lay it there? You know, do I touch it? T- you know, poking him, you know. It's just not working. And so this poor guy, oh, he has to go back to Elisha and the angry woman, right? Oh, man. Oh. So he says, in the, oh, so, so in the, uh, verse 30, And the mother of the child said, As the Lord lives and as your, as your soul lives, I will not leave you. And so he arose and followed. Now Gehazi went on ahead of them and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Therefore, he went back to meet him and told him, the child is still dead. When Elisha came into the house, there was the child lying dead on his bed, not the child's bed. We got to get this. Remember, the mom did not put the child in his own bed. In his own Wait do you hear what this supposedly means. Own room. In his own atmosphere. In his own atmosphere. And you just go, what? She put him in a different atmosphere. She took him upstairs. And she locked the door. Come on, that's a figure. You guys getting that? She took him upstairs. So- no, I'm not getting it at all. Your point doesn't make any sense. So Elisha comes upstairs. I mean, can you imagine how awkward this is? Like, this is the, like, you prophesied this thing into being, and now the thing's dead, and now you got to. When Elisha came into the house, there was the child lying dead on his bed. Worship team, you guys can come, because I'm ending right here. He went in, therefore, shut the door behind the two of them, and he prayed to the Lord. And he went up, and this is where it gets a little weird, so just disclaimer. We don't do this here, just giving you a heads up. <laughs> Declaimer, verse 34 is not in the CFTN guidelines. So, <laughs> he, <laughs> now i got to read it. I should have said that afterwards. So he went up, oh, geez, I won't be able to get through this without laughing now. He went up, laid on the child, put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, his hands on his hands, stretched him out on the child. Check this out. And the flesh of the child became warm. Verse 35, he returned and walked back and forth in the house and again went up, stretched himself out on him. And then the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. I'm going to say that one more time. He returned and walked back and forth in the house. So check this out. The staff didn't work. Trying to give him CPR didn't work. And so check this. Elisha, the Bible says that he starts pacing back and forth in the house. Pacing back and forth. It's funny. Oftentimes it takes circumstances to change the way we pray. What? So he starts pacing. Check this out. He's in the house. <laughs> Can you imagine just walking around? I'm sure the mom's like, is he, is he alive yet? Or what are you doing? <laughs> you getting some exercise, bud? <laughs> he's just walking. And he's thinking, 
okay, okay, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? The Bible says that he goes in again. He lays himself out on the child. And then the child sneezes seven times and the child opens his eyes. And he called Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite woman. So he called her. And when she came into him, he said, pick up your son. So she went and fell at his feet and bound to the ground. And she picked up her son and went out. so easy for us to just simply diagnose a situation. Cue sappy music. This is an emotional manipulation technique to create the false impression that God the Holy Spirit is now descending upon the auditorium, getting ready to do business with people. What the Holy Spirit will be doing business with anybody with after listening to this nonsense, I have no clue. But uh, let's keep slogging through. This is where we're going. It's so easy for us to simply diagnose a situation. What if the mother had been praying? What if the mother had been praying? Well, you can actually argue that's exactly what she did. She went to the man of God. She was on a mission. She put the child on the prophet's bed, and she, would, she wasn't even communicating with anybody what, what her plan was. In fact, anybody talking to her, she just said, Shalom, Shalom, and kind of waved him off. And then she went and she grasped onto the man of God's feet. Is that not prayer? Listen. Think about that. We wouldn't even have to be there. This story wouldn't even have to happen. This story, literally, the story would not have happened. Really, if she had just been on her knees rather than allowed her son to be put on her knees, then this none of this would happen. Really? All of this because you claim God revealed that to you in the spirit. Really? The text doesn't say it. If she had already, check, you guys ready? This is where we're going. Another one of those play on words. The story would not have even happened if she had taken him up there in the first place. But oftentimes in life, it takes us to get to a certain point where we start doing different things. We're like, oh, my, I need to pray. I need to. That's not a relationship. That's not a relationship with God. Now you're going to guilt people based upon what you claim the Spirit told you is the right interpretation of this text without any warrant at all in the text for this interpretation. God, friend. That's not a relationship with the Lord. As a man of God and as a woman of God, we are called, listen, we are called to change the circumstance. What? We, listen, our faith needs to dictate the circumstance. Right? The, the child was raised from the grave. There was a miracle. What is going on here?
rather than the circumstance dictating our faith. Check this out. She gets to the point where she's, ah, ah, ah. She's, where's the donkey? You know, my child has died. Listen, and she starts doing crazy things. So she gets on a donkey and rides six hours over to Mount Carmel to tell the guy, listen, this is happening. Listen. It was not Elisha's fault that the baby died. Oh, man, this is where you ready? We're going to start digging some stuff up real, real quick. It was not Elisha's fault that the baby died. It wasn't her fault either. It wasn't the father's fault either. Because the baby did not die on Elisha's lap. Because when she got it, it was still breathing. Oh. So it's her fault that she didn't get on her knees and, and pray for a miracle herself. Really? But sometimes in life, whether we do it with our family members, our friends, our workplace, or even the dreams that we have, when something's on its last breath, we have, we have a tendency to just pity. Oh, we're so good at pitying people. Oh, brother. I, I don't see this woman acting like like being pitiable. She sprung into action to go to the one person she knew was the man of God. How is that pity? That cancer's got to be bad. Dude, we're going real deal tonight. Oh, well, I'll be praying for you. Will you? Will you? So the baby's sitting, listen, the baby's sitting on her lap. I mean, can you imagine this? Her own child sitting on her lap, dying. I mean, it's, it's dying. It's not, it's not just, oh, it died. Just, it's dying. This is a process. And she's watching it and sitting, oh, man, my baby is dying. Listen, and it, doesn't, it takes the baby dying for her, to, for her to actually do something. She was caring for her dying son. She was doing something. I don't mean to be a Debbie Downer, but I don't want to live a life where, where I, the enemy has to kill everything in my life before I get on my knees and pray. Listen, I want to be, you know what I mean? I want to dictate the circumstance with my faith. You know, I want to dictate the circumstance. You can dictate the circumstance. Really, Scripture teaches I can dictate the circumstance. Really? That's not what this text says at all. Because the Spirit of God lives within you. But you want to know what's cool about this story? You guys ready? You guys want to know? Maybe. That this story isn't even about circumstances to begin with. Really, what's it about? It's nothing to do with the circumstance. It has nothing to do with heat strokes in the middle of the day. It has nothing to do with dreams. It has nothing to do with the power of a prophet in your life. Uh, the power of a prophet in my life. Oftentimes in life, we define our lives by our circumstance rather than defining it by someone. 
going to say that one more time. Oftentimes in life, we define our lives by the circumstances we're in. We define our lives by our circumstance rather than the someone. Uh-huh. You guys want to hear something cool? You have failed to say anything cool this entire sermon. This is the first time in the Bible someone's resurrected from the dead. And this happens to be, you guys ready? This happens to be this unnamed baby boy. Happens to be the seventh baby boy who came from a barren family. The number seven is the Lord's number. I think Jesus is trying to point us off of our circumstance. And he's just like, I'm I'm here. This is all about Jesus. Listen, oftentimes in life. All right. uh, You got my attention. now. I'm clearly listening. Really, it's about Jesus. In what way? It's funny because I just preached a sermon about circumstances. But can I tell you, the circumstance does not matter whether it is good or bad in your life. What matters is Jesus. So check in what way this out. Listen, the seventh son in the seventh barren family in the Bible dies and is resurrected again. Okay. I don't know about you, but I was reading that. I was like, wait a second. Samson. You know, I was like counting them. I was like, oh my gosh. Another thing that's cool. And uh, a guy that I listened to preach this, he said this was, it was incredible because I didn't know that this. I just knew that seven was the number of the Lord. What's interesting is five is the number of grace in the Bible. And he sneezes five times. Um, what? Are you doing a William Tapley? Did you go to the William Tapley School of uh, Prophecy Interpretation? Or sorry, he sneezes seven times. Check this. He sneezes seven times. That's my bad. He sneezes seven times. But Elisha, you guys ready? Breathes into him five times. Uh-huh. Grace. Grace is God breathing into your life. Uh, no, grace is God forgiving me and declaring me righteous because of Christ and what he's done for me. Come on. Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. I, I agree. It is. But this connection you're trying to make is ridiculous. And this is what's so cool about the story. Is that she sits there and her baby's dead and she thinks to herself just... take it upstairs. I don't know what your circumstance is. I don't know what your life is, what your religious background is. I don't know where you come from. I don't. There's so many different things that we experience in life. And there's so many different things that happen. But you always have the option of taking whatever that is upstairs. 
as she said. <laughs> you always have the option of taking that upstairs. I'm going to go beat my head against a brick wall. It might feel better than it does now after that. Uh, technically, it is my fault. Technically, I'm the reason we're in this situation. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take it upstairs. So it's so cool. She takes the baby upstairs and she puts it on the prophet's bed and then closes the door. She says, I'm not opening this door until I come back. And my baby's resurrected. What are you willing to do to see resurrection in your life? What are you willing to do to see resurrection in your life? <sighs> what are you willing to do to see resurrection in the people you love? What are you, are you guys ready? What are you going to do to see resurrection in the homeless man on the street or the prostitute? And what does the word resurrection when mean in the way you're using it? Or are we just going to diagnose them? Oh, that's terrible. On with my life. Bye. Listen, like she said, or are you going to pray? You know what I mean? Are we going to bathe them in prayer? Are we going to take them upstairs? Listen, we can take them upstairs in the spirit. You guys tracking with this? No. We can take them upstairs in the spirit. Yeah, take them upstairs in the spirit. There's the application from... Second Kings chapter four. You need to take people upstairs in the spirit. Utter nonsense. This is gobbledygook. You can dictate your circumstance and you can dictate the circumstance of the people around you. All it takes is faith and prayer. Amen. But most importantly, Jesus. Cool. Let's all stand up. sweet because there's there's three generations represented in this entire in this in this story and it's cool because the affliction of the younger generation is the responsibility of the middle generation and the affliction of the middle generation is the responsibility of the greater generation could you write this down for me and like maybe map it out what you're saying doesn't make any sense and I believe that the Lord in the last days is going to raise up his church to cut that tie. Uh, really? What are you even saying? To cut that tie. So where people now, listen, I believe that when God comes back for his glorious church, it's going to be a bunch of generations all together fighting for one another. Listen. Again, utter nonsense. Listen, I'm, I'm a youth pastor. I work with youth. We deal with a lot of crazy things. But I, listen, I refuse. I refuse, I refuse, I refuse, I refuse to label these kids anything other than what the Lord has called them to. 
Absolutely not. Listen, we, we listen. We've got to listen. This is that's that's great and dandy, but this is not even about me. Listen, this is about us. It's about us. It's an us thing. This is what I want you to do. If you if you have, we'll we'll do a couple things. If you have, and we'll, we'll end. If you if you have dreams in your life that have died or have been killed or something's happened or whatever. I mean, it could literally be you. Have- so do you have a dream, you know, and you know, maybe it was hit by a train, you know, maybe it was hit by the proverbial bus, you know, maybe, you know, your dream was out swimming and drowned, you know, if this is you and there, well, you got to be paying attention now. Had a God giving dream that you felt, man, this is the Lord's, this is, you know, this is the Lord's will in my life, but it did not come to pass and it's bugs you and it drives you insane. Trust me, I'm, I'm in that boat too. I want you to be bold and I just want you to lift up your hand. If you got things in your life that you felt like, man, God, I really felt like that was you, but it's died and I don't know who killed it or what happened. And this is what I want you to do. So if your dream is, you know, you've got a picture of it on a milk carton, you know, because it's gone missing, you know, this, this is you, man. I want you to take a step and I want you to be bold and prayer partners, you guys can come up and I want you to come up here and I want you to get prayer. I want us to talk because it's so good. Listen, it's so good. And it is, it is so healthy. Listen, for us to admit, listen, I let this thing die. Listen, I had a dream when I first moved to Phoenix that was huge. And I was like, oh, you know, uh, I felt like it was the Lord and I was fasting and all these different things. Listen, you guys ready? I let that joker die. And there's not, listen, there's days that that I think, man, what if I, what if I did it? Listen, and it was my own doing. And I live with that. Listen, do not live with that. There is a God. His name is Jesus Christ and he can heal your broken heart. Amen. Amen. So real quick, hey, there was more than that that raised your hand. We want to pray with you guys. We want to lift you up. We want to go with you to that upper room. One more thing, and then we're going to dismiss. If you feel, and I'm not going to call you up, so don't worry. Don't be scared to raise your hand. If you feel like, man, there's, there's things in my life that I've been merely diagnosing rather than doing something about, and that's convicting. If, 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 you, if you're in a position in your life where you've been really good at just diagnosing the situation rather than changing it, I just want, real quick, I'm not going to make you raise your hand or come up here. I want you to make in this, in this moment, there's a grace for this. I want in this moment for you to make a declaration in your heart. No, I will contend. Listen, I will contend for the salvation of my father. I will contend for the salvation of my coworkers. I will contend for the salvation and for, for the resurrection. Save him from what? Dead dreams? Direction of my dreams and of the dreams of my friends and coworkers and all these different things. Listen, if that's you, I just want you to do that wherever you're at. Listen, I believe that God is going to re- release destiny in this place tonight. It was cool. Pastor Debbie said that. The Lord will release destiny. Uh, so the Lord's going to release destiny now. What, what part of the services the destiny release take place? Destiny in this place tonight. He is good and awesome. This is like church in a lounge or something, you know? Love you, Jesus. 
All right, we're done. I, I can't take any more. There's only like a minute left anyway. It's not like he's going to say something amazingly profound or actually preach the gospel. Yeah, and he's the youth pastor there. So uh, is this the kind of teaching you'd want your youths uh, taught under? I don't think so. Nothing biblical about it. I mean, it's just, it's utter nonsense. He has no clue what the Bible really means or what it says. And yet it's staring him right in the face. It's as if, you know, God has sent a delusion, you know, a strong delusion so that he'll believe a lie. Something to that effect. Very sad. No Jesus, no repentance, no forgiveness of sins, no sound exegesis. Just, we're going to take people up to the upper room in the spirit and all that kind of nonsense. Yeah, this is what happens when you abandon sound doctrine and an exegeting scripture and understanding what it's really all about. You end up with this, and this is not Christianity. I don't know what this was that we just heard, but it ain't Christianity. That's for sure. What did you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>